السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله continuing with the book on the fiqh of Imam Ibn Qudam al-Maktasi rahimullah ta'ala we started last week on our first session with the chapter of Hajj one quick point before I continue is a brother may Allah reward him last week asked me whether this will benefit him in going to Hajj because he's about to go to Hajj very soon so I wanted to just clarify that this what we're doing is not specifically because it's now the Hajj season like many people do in many masajid this is just a continuation of our course that we started many many months ago pertaining to the fiqh of worship though there will be contained herein benefits for you of course because it's the fiqh of Hajj and it's written by one of the greatest of Imams of Ahlul Sunnah so you will definitely benefit but generally when you go to those lectures which are reminders about how to do Hajj they're generally structured in a different way right they're structured in a more I wouldn't say logical way but just an easier manner for you to follow but this is still of great benefit by Allah's permission but if you're looking for a specific lecture on how to do Hajj this is not that particular lecture and Allah knows best so the Imam he says Bab we've reached the place where the Imam he's talking now about that which is forbidden for you to do once in the state of Ihram what is the Ihram the intention, right? The intention is the key point of the haram. And like you said, also the two pieces of which colored clothing? Unstitched, which colored clothing? Does it have to be white? Doesn't have to be white, but it's the recommended thing that the Prophet ﷺ recommended us to do, right? So these mahdurat is something which you have to avoid in the situation of being a muhrim, having the haram, in the state of haram. And also, some of them, you're going to have to pay a penalty if you commit them. And we'll come to that in a while, inshallah. So the first of them, the Imam, he says, sha'r. The first of them, he says, cutting the hair. Okay? So if the hair is cut, this is the first of the mahdurat, the first of the forbidden things for the one in ihram. Now, some of the ulama, they took task with our Imam for having used the wording halq. They said he shouldn't have said halq al-sha'r. He shouldn't have said cutting the hair or shaving the hair. What should he have said if do you think they would say? Those who took removing ahsant because it's not just about cutting, it's the removing, right? You can remove it in many ways. You can remove it by scratching your hair. Knowing that your hair is weak, it's going to fall out. You can remove it by plucking. So it's not necessarily the cutting of the hair, but the imam, this is what he meant. Izalat al-sha'r, the removing of the hair. Tayyib. Uh, with regards to the removing of the hair of the whole body, including the head, this is the opinion of the majority. However, the, the madhab of the zahiriyah, they said, no, it's only for the head, okay? Based upon the ayat in the Quran and certain ahadith. And also Imam uh, Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, the great Imam, the Mufassar, in his adwa al-bayan, the tafsir, he said, I didn't come across any evidence to say it's other than the hair pertaining to the head but our imam and the majority they said it's for the head and the whole body طيب. the second of them is and to remove your nails if you to remove your nails this is also something which is forbidden okay and again in this particular thing there's no textual evidence but there is ijma which is itself an evidence for the ummah the prophet ﷺ said that the ummah will not unite upon something which is misguidance right and where they get the ijma' on this is from the qiyas, from the 
Anyway, from the Qiyas, right? So what they say is that is Lijami Tarafu, Lijami al Ma'na Tarafu. Because all of these things which are going to be mentioned now that are forbidden for the Muhrim in the state of Ihram have to do with the kind of idea of luxury. Okay? So it's quite luxurious for you when you want to cut your hair, you cut your hair. It's luxurious for you when you want to remove your nails, you remove your nails. So because it shares this meaning, and because there's ijma of the ummah on it, then you're not allowed to do so, okay? You're not allowed to remove your nails. Now, the Imam, he says, three of them and above, you have to pay them. Three of them and above. Three of what? Three hairs and three nails or above, you have to pay them. Them is blood, right? So what they mean here, you have to pay fidyatul adha. Whenever you see them in this chapter, it means fidyatul adha, and we'll explain what fidyatul adha is a little bit on, okay? You have to pay fidyatul adha. وَفِي كُلِّ وَاحِدٍ مِمَّا دُونَهَا مُدُّ الطَّعَامِ وَهُوَ رُبُّ سَعَى And for everything which is less than three, whether you do one or you do two, then you have to pay a quarter of a sa'a. And we said that a sa'a is a measurement of eight handfuls, right? So you have to pay a quarter of that, right? In terms of feeding the poor. That's for one. And if you pay two, then you pay half a sa'a, right? So for every nail that you remove or every hair that you remove, it's a quarter. If you remove two, then it's two quarters. And of course, if you remove three or more, then like we said, it's dumb, which is that you have to sacrifice a sheep or you have to uh, pay food to six poor or you fast three days. This is fidyatul adha. Fidyatul adha is you sacrifice a sheep or you fast for three, uh, three days or you feed six people. The Imam is now still talking about the hair, right? He said, if you got some hair which is coming down to your eyes, and you remove it. Maybe you got bushy eyebrows, something of that nature, right? Or the hair comes down and it covers his eyes. Or his nail is about to break, so he helps it to break. It's, it's hanging off, so he just peels it off, right? He says, in this situation, there's nothing for you. There's nothing upon you. So if the hair is bothering you like it's going into your eyes, or the nail is half coming off and you remove it, you cut the hair because it's going into your eyes. In this situation, there's nothing upon you. Why? Because the ulama, they have a rule in fiqh. They say, Man atlafa shay'an li'adhahu lam yadman. Lam yadmanhu. Man atlafa shay'an li'adhahu lam yadmanhu. That whoever spoils a thing, usually talking about killing or spoiling property, whoever does this, due to the harm that that thing is causing, then he doesn't have to replace that, he doesn't have to ensure that, he doesn't have to pay a penalty for it. But if it's the case that you are removing that thing, like the hair or the property or anything that you're not allowed to remove, due to, it, due to not it causing you a harm, but due to the fact that you need to remove it to prevent a harm, in this situation, you have to replace it and you have to pay a penalty. So again, the ulama, they say that if you remove something which you're not supposed to remove, right? Due to the harm that that thing itself is causing you. Like in the situation, the hair is causing me harm, it's coming into my eye. I'm not allowed to remove it. But if I do remove it due to the harm it's causing me itself, then I don't have to pay a fidya. There's nothing upon me because it was causing me harm. But now, if I remove my hair, not because the hair is causing me harm, but I'm removing my hair in order to prevent a secondary harm. Like for example, it happened to the hadith of Ka'b ibn Ujra that when he came to the Prophet ﷺ, he had lots of lice in his hair. They were literally falling out of his hair. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, cut your hair. 
and then pay the fidya. So why in this situation he has to pay the fidya? Because he removed his hair, not because the hair was harming him. He removed it because there's something else in his hair that was harming him, right? That's just extra information for you, inshallah. Tayyib, the imam, he says, the third thing which you are not allowed to do in the state of ihram is to wear stitched clothing. What does he mean by stitched clothing? Loudly, I can't hear you. Fixed clothing. Exactly. Well done. Clothing which fits the body. It doesn't mean stitched clothing in the sense that you have an ihram or anything of that nature, a sheet around you, and it has stitching on it. That's not the meaning of it. Stitched clothing is that which is stitched together to fit the shape of your body. That which is not allowed upon you. Tayyib. So in this situation, if you wear it, you have to pay the fidya, the fidya to other. But if, for example, you wear it due to cold, okay, there's still a fidya upon you, but there's no sin upon you. See the difference? Because you wore it due to need. But you still have to pay the fidya, but there's no sin upon you. Likewise, there are people that work in the hajj, they have to wear particular uniforms. So they're doing the hajj, but they have to wear particular uniforms. Though they're in the state of ihram, they're excused in terms of sin, but they still have to pay the fidya. So in any case, you're not allowed to wear uh, something which is mukhit, something which is stitched. Does this apply to both men and women? Only for the men, right? The women can wear whatever they want to wear, except for wearing gloves and the niqab. Okay? They cannot wear the gloves and niqab now. It applies to slippers as well, according to the majority of the ulama. Okay? that you cannot have a slipper which covers the whole of your foot. What I'm going to do, hold off the questions till the end, inshallah, if you can remember to do so. It makes it easy for my small mind to continue with the thought process, inshallah. Zakumullah khaira. Tayyib, the imam, he says, So what did he say to us about stitched clothing? He said, you cannot wear stitched clothing, right? Now he's giving an exception. He said, unless you cannot find the izar, then you can wear pants. Sarawil, okay? Or you cannot find slippers. If you cannot find slippers, then it's permissible for you to wear the slippers, right? And in this situation, there will be no fidya upon you because you have no choice. You're not doing it out of choice, okay? You have nothing else except to wear the trousers or except to wear uh, those shoes because you cannot find the slippers. In the hadith in Sahih Muslim of Ibn Abbas, which is a hadith marfu' The Prophet ﷺ said, Okay, whoever cannot find slippers, then let him wear the khufain. The khufain is the covering uh, like a leather sock, right? Covers the whole of your foot. And who cannot find the izar, then he should wear the sarawil, the pants of some nature. The opinion of the Hanbali scholars is that if you wear the na'alain, if you wear the, uh, not the na'alain, if you wear the khufain, the socks, or, or type of sock which covers the whole of your foot, then you do not have to cut them down. But the opinion of the majority is that if you wear the na'alain because you cannot find slippers, you have to cut them down below the ankle. Tayyib? Because they say that this hadith which I just quoted, the humble scholars say, they say, they say it's nasikh for the other hadith which mentions the same topic. In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, if you're going to wear the khufain, the socks, you have to cut them down so they're below your ankles. The humble scholars who oppose the majority, they say, no, you do not have to do that because this hadith is nasikh, it repealing the previous ruling because it was the latest hadith. And also in terms of cutting down, 
your Khufayn um, in, in the time of the companions عنهم, they hardly had any property to their name so to order them to spoil their property would be something which is against the uh, commands or dictates of the Sharia the Imam he says the fourth thing which is not permitted for you to do in the state of Ihram to cover the head and the ears are from them you are not allowed to cover your head what does that mean Excellent. You're not allowed to wear something which is touching your head. Taib, how about an umbrella? You're allowed to have any type of shading above your head because it's not touching your head. How about somebody who is carrying mata? He's carrying his goods on his head. So you know like many people, they come from the poor countries, they don't have luxury of suitcases, that have wheels, etc. So he's in the state of Ihram, he's got a piece of cardboard and he's got some luggage on his head. He's carrying that around. What's his situation? What fatwa are you going to give him? Huh? Necessity, huh? What else? Any more information? Yeah, you're close. Ibn Aqil al he said that if the person is doing it with the intention of covering his head, like from the sun, he's doing it for the intention of covering his head, then this is a mahdur, this is a prohibition, and upon him will be fidya. If he's not doing it for that intention, it's necessity, like the brother mentioned, then it's all well and good, there's nothing upon him. Tayyib. A man can cover his face according to the opinion of Imam Malik, okay? According to the opinion of Imam Shafi and some of the Hanbali scholars. Because Imam Malik narrated in his Muwatta and also Imam Bayhaqi that Uthman radiallahu anhu did so, okay? In the state of Ihram. So why would you want to cover your face maybe? What situation would arise for you to maybe want to cover your face? Exactly, especially in Muzdalifah, right? There's buses everywhere and there's a lot of pollution or freezing cold something of that nature. So it's permissible for you to cover your face. It's not considered to be from that which is forbidden upon you and also you can cover your ears, okay? This is the opinion of the Shafi and some of the Hanbali scholars. Al-Khamis, the fifth thing which you are not allowed to do. Al-Tib fi badanihi wa thiyabihi. To have perfume in your, on your body or on your ihram, on your clothing. To have perfume on your body or your clothing hang about didn't we mention something about perfume beforehand in the previous week, in the previous lesson? What did we say? Before entering into the haram, you can put perfume on, right? But here he's saying don't put perfume on. What's, he, what's the difference? Now you're in the state of haram, so you cannot do it. And also he's mentioning to put it, yes, basically in the state of haram, you cannot do it. Beforehand, it was for preparation of the haram. Tayyib, so what about that perfume that you put on before you put the ihram on, if it touches the ihram? It's still in your body and it touches the ihram. Is there a problem? There's no problem. But there is a problem if you have it on your forehead, for example, and you move it from your forehead and it goes onto your ihram or onto your body. So you had the perfume from before putting the ihram on, right? It's on your head, fantastic oud, the ones that you pay a thousand pounds for, right? May Allah bless us with that, I mean. So you, you move it from here because it's still on your forehead and you put it somewhere else on your body. This is now something which is mahdur and you have to pay the penalty for it, okay? So in any case, the imam, he says, you are not allowed to wear it uh, in your, on your body or in your uh, clothing of the ihram. The sixth of these things, which is mahdur, forbidden for the one in the state of ihram, qatl al-sayd al-bar, killing anything which is hunted on the land, okay? And it is that which is a wild animal and permissible, okay? Wild and permissible. This thing you cannot kill, right? Like for example, wild gazelle or something of that nature. 
Now, when would this prohibition apply to you? When can you not kill the animal? Is my question. During the haram, right? So what does that mean? In the state of Ihram, which could be from your home country, right? So you have to be very careful about this. If you're one of those who got into the state of Ihram, like we said, it's permissible in your home country for whatever reason, then you have to be careful that this also applies to you from that situation, from that time, as all the other mahdhurat apply to you from the time you made the intention. You could have made your intention from your home country, okay? So from that time, it applies to you. Also, pertaining to this, you are not even allowed to point out the game. For somebody to go ahead and kill you're not allowed to pass them the weapon for them to go ahead and kill you're not allowed to eat from the meat which was killed okay but if it wasn't killed if, if it was killed for your sake okay if it was killed for your sake in any case the majority of us we, we don't do that we don't hunt uh, even in our own countries let alone when we go to Hajj etc so this doesn't apply too much to us the Imam he said, البحر, as for the hunting or as for the bringing about of the, the killing of the, uh, that which lives in the sea, then that is permissible. والأهلي, and also that which is domesticated. Okay? So the Imam he's saying, if you were to kill something in the sea, or if you were to kill something which is domesticated, or, أكله, or if you were to kill something which you are not allowed to eat, فَلَا شَيْ فِيهِ then there's nothing upon you pertaining to having to pay a fidya in that situation, okay? Where you have to pay a fidya, the Imam said, if it's something which lives on the land, okay, and it's wild by its nature, its original nature, okay, and it's permissible. These things, you have, you have to pay a fidya uh, if you kill that animal, okay? The Imam, he says, the, se the seventh is aqtun nikah la yasahu minhu. You're not allowed to get into a contract uh, of marriage, okay? You neither allow, are you allowed to do it for yourself, it would be invalidated, nor are you allowed to do it for other than yourself, okay? So if you do do this act of nikah, number one, it's not going to be permissible for you, it's not going to be valid, but there will be no fidya in this situation if you do it. There's no having to pay a penalty, okay? If you do it. The Imam says, for you to have relationships with your wife which doesn't equate to penetration so this is a relationship of of passion but it's not the full relationship okay wherein the, there's no penetration here so the imam he says for anzala biha if though however he ejaculates due to this behavior due to this interaction what takes place fafiha badna then he has to pay a badna badna is a camel or a cow okay this is the same that you would have to pay if you did have intercourse with your uh, spouse. Why is it the same penalty though it's not intercourse? Because we described here that the person, he's touching his, uh, his wife out of passion, right? There's no intercourse here. However, he ejaculates. So the Imam is saying upon him is a badna. He has to sacrifice a badna which is the camel, right? Why is it upon him now the same penalty which he would have to pay if he had the full it's the fact that they both ejaculated, right? And they both require ghusl and they both experience pleasure, which comes from the normal interaction with the spouse due to that reason. So the Imam, he says, But if he doesn't ejaculate, however, he touches his wife due to passion, he touches his wife due to passion, right? However that touch be, then he has to pay the sacrifice of a lamb. 
Okay? Whether he ejacul if he ejaculates, it's the badan. Right? It's the camel, the badana. But if he doesn't ejaculate, it's just touching, then he has to pay the shirt. He has to pay the lamb, okay? Whether he... Only for touching. Fafiha shirt. One second. When I said that fafiha shirt, here he has to pay the sacrifice of the lamb. The ulama say this is fidyatul adha also, which is that you can have a choice. You can choose to sacrifice the lamb okay and feed it to the poor or you can fast three days or you can feed six people okay you can feed six people find six people any poor people and find them a meal which they are commonly used to having in that land the ninth of these things is okay is to have full intercourse this is something which is forbidden because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran Hajj is in the prescribed month. Whoever enters upon the Hajj and makes it obligatory upon himself, فَلَا رَفَثْ And the ulama of tafsir like Ibn Abbasin, rahimullah ta'ala, radiyallahu anhuma, he said that Rafath includes the intercourse and it includes other than that. But the main understanding of it is that it includes intercourse. So if the person falls into this, this is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. He has to make tawbah to Allah and he has to do quite a few things in terms of penalty. So he says, If this relationship took place before the first tahallul, tahallul means the first removing of the restrictions of the haram. Right, the removing of the restrictions of ihram are two: tahallul awwal and tahallul thani. So the minor removal of the restrictions and the major removal of the restrictions. The first minor removal of these restrictions happens on the day of Eid, okay, by stoning the jamarat al-aqaba, the big jamara, and then to make tawaf al-qudum, tawaf al-ifada, afwan, tawaf al-ifada, and to shave your hair. If you do one of these three things, you have now in the state of tahallul awwal okay so the imam is saying if this took place before that state okay before you got to the state of tahallul awwal no no this is for tahallul awwal you have a tahallul awwal and a thani right so tahallul awwal the minor removing of the restrictions of the ihram is by doing one of the three as sheikh abdaziz raji he said which is the cutting of the hair stoning of the jamat al aqra two of the three stoning of the jamat al aqaba and طواف الإفاضة طيب فإن كان قبل تحلل أول فسد الحج so if it's before this first تحلل his حج is now invalid he's invalidated the complete حج ووجب المضي في فساده في فاسده however though he's made it invalid he has to continue it why? because Allah says وأتم الحج والأمرة لله complete the حج and the أمرة once you have entered upon it though he's made it invalid he has to continue in it and he has to do Hajj again from the next year. As soon as he is able to do so, he has to do Hajj again from the next year. The Imam he says, However, if this interaction, if this intercourse took place after the Tahalul Awwal, then all he has to do, he has to do Fidyatul Adha. Okay, he has to sacrifice the Shad. And this person who did it after the tahallul al-awwal, because his rights of hajj have not finished and he still has to do things like make tawaf, he has to now go and um, get into the state of ihram again. 
He has to go to the places of hell, like Tan'aim, Masjid Aisha, etc. Okay? And he has to put his uh, ihram on again, so he can continue thereon. وَإِنْ وُطِيَ فِي الْعُمْرَةَ And if he does this in the state of, whilst he was making Umrah, he has uh, intercourse in the state of making Umrah, then he spoils his Umrah, and upon him, he has to sacrifice a lamb. طيب. وَلَا يُفْسِدُ النُّسُكْ بِغَيْرِهِ And none of the nusuk, none of the rights, or uh, nothing else invalidates the rights of Hajj other than this. Okay, so you can do nothing else to invalidate the, the state of uh, your rights other than falling into this uh, act, which is to have full relationships with your family member, with your wife. وَالْمَرْأَةُ كَالرَّجُلُ And the woman is like the man in terms of the rulings, except except that her ihram is in her face. What does that mean? She cannot wear niqab, right? She cannot cover her face. This is what they mean. She cannot cover her face by stitched clothing. Okay? However, if she wants to cover her face, she can pull down her khimar or have something else. Sorry, not stitched clothing. She just cannot wear niqab. Okay? But she can pull down her, her, her khimar or she can have something else which is stitched on the back of her head and she can pull that down if she wishes to cover her face. Okay? This is what the imam, he means that the al-mar'atu, uh, is the same as the man, except that her ihram is in her face, okay? And she is allowed to wear any type of clothing that she feels she wants to wear, stitch clothing, except that she cannot have her face covered, nor can she have uh, her face covered by the niqab, nor can she have uh, gloves on her hands. So what does she do? She can wear long uh, sleeves to cover her hands if she wished to do so. Now the imam is going to talk about the very important chapter, which is Babul Fidya. What do we do? in the situations where we fall into that which is mahdhur, we fall into that which is forbidden. So he mentions a certain amount of acts which are forbidden for us to do in the state of ihram. What happens to you now? What do you do if you fall into one of the acts? So the imam, he says, Babul fidya. Al-fidya hiya ma yaftadi bihi al-insan bisababi fi'l mahdhur aw tarki wajib. Fidya is how a person ransoms himself, right, due to having done something which is forbidden in the ihram or leaving off one of those which are obligatory or leaving off an obligatory act. So fidya is basically you're ransoming yourself for doing one of those nine things which we mentioned or you left off something which is obligatory upon you. This is what you do with fidya. The imam says, And it is upon two types, two ways we may say. Somebody's calling you. It's upon two ways. Okay? It's upon two categories, this fidya. The first of them, he says, The first of them is upon takhyir. When they talk about fidya or kafara in takhyir, what they're referring to here is that you have a choice in how you want to go about doing it. You have a choice in the sequence. You can either do this, or you can do that, or you can do that. So you basically have to do one of the three things, or fidya tul adha. What is fidya tul adha? We said fidya tul adha is that you have to fast three days, or you have to sacrifice a lamb, or you have to feed six poor, right? So in, in this now, when he's talking about takhir, you can do either one of them. You don't have to go to this, and if you can't do it, then you go to that. If you can't do it, then you go to that. Okay, you have the choice. You can go to either one of those directly uh, based upon what you wish to do. And he said, the imam, it is the fidya of the other, the ransom that you pay that you pay for doing the fidya tul adha. What is fidya tul adha? Fidya tul adha comprises three things. For you to have covered your head, for you to have removed hair from your head, or for you to have removed 
uh, one of your nails, okay, or two or whatever amount it be. These are considered fidyatul adha, removing of the hair, covering of the hair for the man, and cutting of the nails, okay. And then the Imam he adds to this, walubs watib, and also clothing and doing perfume, putting on perfume on your body or the ihram. If the person does this, he has the choice between fasting three days or he has to pay uh, nine kilograms worth of food and he has to distribute that amongst uh, six poor people. Asa'a equates to about uh, three, three kilograms of food. So the Imam here is saying you have to do three of them. So that's nine kilograms of food, okay? Or you can sacrifice a, a lamb, okay? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيدًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِيدِيَةٌ مِنْ سِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ Whoever amongst you is sick or he has uh, harm in his head and he has, to re, you know, he has to remove some hair due to that, then he should do this. What does Allah say? Then he should fast, which means fast the three days, or give sadaqah, which means to feed the poor, or nusuk, which means to sacrifice the animal, as we mentioned. The Imam says, However, if the person was to kill an animal from hunting, then what does he have to do? He has to replace it. He has to replace it, okay? So if you kill, for example, if you killed an ostrich, the, the companions, they gave the ruling that you have to replace it with a camel. If you killed a wild buffalo, then you have to replace it with a cow. If you killed a pigeon, then you have to replace it with a lamb. Like this, there's so many there's categories of them, right? So if you kill an animal, then you have to replace it. Except for the birds, for verily in that situation, you have to pay its value in money. Okay, you have to go to people of knowledge of that area, that locality where the bird was killed and they will tell you how much this uh, animal, this bird is worth and you have to pay its like in money, okay, in monetary terms. Except for the pigeon, for verily in it, you have to pay uh, a sheep. Why? Because the Sahaba, they made qada of this. And some of the ulama, they said the reason being because they saw that the pigeon drinks water similar to the way that the lamb drinks water okay so they take the same ruling uh, the imam he says and the ostrich if you kill the ostrich then you have to pay the camel right then you have to pay the camel and in other animals which are not given here as exceptions that you killed you have the choice between bringing its like Okay, so if you kill something, you bring the like of that animal. Or you give its value in terms of food. You find out how much this uh, animal cost. Okay, and then based upon its value, you feed uh, poor people based upon the value of the animal that you killed. What's a mud? He says you have to give a mud's worth of food what's a mud we said a mud is two handfuls right two handfuls of, of a normal person okay let me explain this once again so i'm saying here that the imam he says in this part or you give its value in terms of food what he means is that if the if the animal costs for example 300 riyals 
you get 300 riyals and you go and find how much food you can purchase for this amount, right? And you look at its weight, okay? And we can say that a mud is half a kilogram. A mud is half a kilogram of weight. So you divide all of that weight by half a kilogram and you go and distribute it to the different uh, uh, poor people that you find, okay? The different poor people that you find. Or, for every mud that you gathered in terms of food, let's say it turns out to be 20 mud, right? Or uh, even 100 mud, whatever it be, then you have to fast for each day a mud. So if you ended up having 20 mud, you have to fast 20 days. If you ended up having 100, you have to fast 100 days. The Imam, he says, The Darb al-Thani, in terms of the fidya, in terms of the ransoming yourself, or the kafara, as we want to use another term, is that here you don't have a choice. So the Imam, in the previous one, he gave you choices. You can do X, you can do Y, you can do Z. Here you have to do exactly what is mentioned to you, right? So the Imam, he says, that the one who comes as mutamatta, who is mutamatta, the one who does Umrah, gets free from the ihram, then puts the ihram on again on the eighth day of Dhul Hijjah and starts to do the actions of Hajj, right? So this person, upon him, he has to do a sacrifice of a sheep, right? As Allah says in the Quran. So this person, he has to make a sacrificial lamb, okay, or sheep. Why is this sacrifice? It's not because he's done something wrong. It's dam shukran. It's a sacrifice of thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if he's unable to find this lamb to sacrifice for whatever reason, in this situation, then he has to fast. Okay, in this situation, then he has to fast three days in the Hajj and seven if he when he returns to his residence. <coughs> because Allah says, As Allah mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah, that it's upon you to do the sacrifice of the sheep, and if you cannot do so, then you have to fast three days in the Hajj, and then seven when you return to your family. Which three days in the Hajj do you have to do? You can do the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, okay? And if you cannot do those three days, then you do the three days of the, you can do it in the Ayyam Tashriq, okay, the days of Eid, okay? And even if for some case you couldn't do that, you can do it all when you return to your family. But it's not a choice. You have to try to do it in the Hajj, okay? But if you cannot do it for some reason, then you can go and you can do it in the days when you return to your family. So again, the Imam, he says to us that the Hadi, that the sacrifice that the person has to do, only if he cannot find it, then he can do three days of fasting in the Hajj and seven when he returns, right? And the Imam, he says, And for the one who had intercourse with his wife, he has to sacrifice the lamb, And if he cannot find the sacrificial lamb, he cannot afford it, so the sacrificial, uh, the, the camel to sacrifice, if he cannot find the camel, right, for whatever reason, or he cannot afford it, in this situation, then he can fast the 10 days, like we just mentioned, three days in the Hajj, and seven days when he goes back to his family. And likewise, it's the same ruling for the one who ejaculates, not due to intercourse, but ejaculates due to having sensual pleasures with his wife, right? The ruling is the same upon him, okay? So three rulings for three people. The one who is doing mutamatta, okay, 
and the one who has intercourse with his wife and the one who doesn't have intercourse with his wife yet still ejaculates, all their rulings are the same, okay? Except for the tamatta, he sacrifices a sheep, okay? If he cannot do so, three fasting in Hajj and seven when he returns. The one who has intercourse with his wife, he has to sacrifice what? A camel, okay? If he cannot do so, then he fasts the 10 days, three in a hajj, seven when he returns. The one who has ejaculation, but not intercourse, he has to do what? Fast three days in hajj and seven if he returns, if he could not uh, sacrifice the camel. Taib, the imam, he, say, the imam, he says, fawat. And also, uh, if a person misses out on hajj, he had the intention to do hajj, he started to do the hajj, but he missed out on Yawmul Arafah. He didn't stand in Yawmul Arafah, okay, for any period of time. This person is known as somebody who missed the Hajj, okay? Because Arafah, it is the core of Hajj. So if the person doesn't stand in Arafah, then he misses the Hajj. So due to this, the person has to pay a sacrifice. He has to sacrifice a sheep, okay? But if he cannot find the sheep, what does he have to do? He has to fast 10 days, okay? He has to fast 10 days and he has to make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has to make the hajj again, right? Because he didn't complete his hajj. Without the arafah, there is no hajj. Okay? So then he has to complete the hajj on the next, he has to redo the hajj when he's next able to do so. He has to carry on completing the hajj. Continue the hajj in the umrah. Okay? Whatever is left of it, whatever you can do. But he has to pay the blood in the terms of the sacrifice. And if he cannot do that, then he has to fast the 10 days. And he has to do the hajj again whenever he's able to do so. So if you miss anything which is an obligation, you can, you can do a sacrifice, a sacrifice and that will cover what you missed, okay? As long as it wasn't, you didn't do it intentionally, right? Unintentional. Here, it's a rukun of the hajj. It's a pillar of the hajj. Without, without this pillar, standing in Arafah, your hajj is not valid. Tayyib, that's the difference. And the muhsir, the one who is prevented, and the majority understanding is prevented by an enemy from completing his hajj, this person, he has to also do a sacrifice because Allah says, فَإِنْ أُحْسِرْتُمْ فَمَسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْحَدِي وَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ ثَلَثَةِ أَيَّامٍ فِي الْحَجِّ وَسَبْعَةٍ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ Okay, فَإِنْ أُحْسِرْتُمْ فَمَسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْحَدِي The one who is withheld by an enemy from completing his hajj, then he has to do a sacrifice. Some of the ulama, they say also, if the person didn't make the shart, you remember we mentioned in the first lesson that if you make a shart, uh, if you are prevented due to illness by completing the hajj, or you make a shart that, oh Allah, wherever I'm unable to complete my hajj, then my hill, then my removing of the ihram is from this place, and I do not have to pay any penalties. You can make a shart with Allah, we said in the first uh, lesson, right? But this person, if he's prevented from doing so, then he has to, uh, and he didn't make shart, he has to do a sacrifice, okay? فَإِن لَمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ عَشْرَةِ أَيَّامِ But if the person cannot find that which to sacrifice, then he has to fast 10 days. Then he has to fast 10 days. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimullah ta'ala, Imam Malik and Shaykh Uthaymin, rahimullah ta'ala, they said there's no need in this situation for the person to fast 10 days. They said, why? They said, look, if you go back to the seal of the Prophet ﷺ, when the companions, they were prevented from entering into uh, Hajj or Umrah on the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and they 
um, the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to slaughter, right? But many of them didn't have that which would, they could slaughter with because they were poor. And it was never found in any of the narrations where the Prophet ﷺ then commanded them, if you cannot slaughter, you have to fast in place of that, okay? So Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, and Shaykh Ta'ala, they said this doesn't apply. But our Imam and those who agree with him, they said if you cannot slaughter for the one who's prevented, then you have to fast 10 days. And whoever repeats a forbidden action, like cutting the hair, cutting the nails, putting on thieb, covering the head, okay, something of this nature, if it's done repetitively and it's from the same jins, what they mean from the same jins is the same type of thing which is forbidden. So somebody, he cuts one nail, then he goes ahead and cuts another nail, then a third and a fourth or a fifth, he's got some issues with his nails, right? He likes the taste of them. So he keeps cutting them, then this person, the imam is going to say, uh, So a person who does a mahdur again and again and again from one jins, I explained what one jins means, right? One type other than the killing of animals, then this person only has one kafara upon him. This person only has one kafara upon him. Whereas if you were to kill an animal, even if it's from the same breed, you kill 10 animals for each animal, there is a kafara or a fidda you have to pay, right? A kafara that you have to do. Tayyip, see the difference? Except in this situation that Imam is saying. So a person cuts his nail, then a second and a third and a fourth. But in this situation, he's really weird. He cuts the first nail, he makes kafara. He cuts the second nail, then he has to make another kafara. And after doing the second one, second kafara, he cuts the third one. So in each situation, he's made a kafara, then whatever he does next is a new kafara. How is that different to the first situation? Because the first situation, he did everything from the same type of forbidden action, yet he didn't pay kafara. So there, that's why there's only one kafara. In the second situation, the Imam is saying, he does it, he pays a kafara. Then he decides to do it again, therefore he has to pay another kafara. If he decides to do it again, he has to pay another kafara. So it's different, right? But if he does a mahdhur from different ajnas, from different types, like one moment he breaks his nail, one moment he cuts his hair, one moment he puts tib on, one moment he, cuts his, he covers his head, okay? This chap, poor chap, he's doing all of these things, for each one of them, he has to do a separate kafara because they're not from the same type. They're not from the same jins. To cut your hair, to cut your nails, okay, or to have relationships with your wife, or to kill an animal, to hunt an animal, then it's the same whether you did it intentionally or unintentionally. Somebody asked a question a few moments ago about this, right? if you do it intentionally or not intentionally. These matters that I've just mentioned, then whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally, it's the same. You still have to pay the ruling, okay? Why do they say this? They say because this is from Bab al-Itlaf. Al-Itlaf means you are spoiling something, okay? You are, you are spoiling something which didn't belong to you. So for example, the hair, you didn't have the right to pull it out, you're spoiling it. So you have to repay it now by the ransom, the, by the fidya, okay? So in the situations where it's from Bab al-Itlaf, it doesn't matter whether you did it uh, consciously or unconsciously, okay? Whether you did it uh, out of purpose or unconsciously. In this situation, 
is still upon you. And all of the other mahdhurat that we mentioned, there's nothing upon it. If you did it, forgetfully. If you did it, forgetfully, right? Give me an example of something you may do forgetfully. Covering your head, right? Yes, covering your head, covering your body. For example, you, you, you were very cold and you put on some clothing, forgetfully, right? Here, you are exempted because the things that the Imam said, you're not exempted in if you did it out of forgetfulness, is al-halq, is, is to cut your hair, okay, on any part of the body, taqlim, to remove the nails, walwat, which is to have intercourse with your wife, sayyid, and to kill any of the animals which you are not allowed to kill. These four things you are not um, excused, but other than that, you will be excused if you did it forgetfully. The Imam says, and every sacrifice or feeding of the poor then it is to be distributed among the poor people in the haram what does it mean the poor people in the haram does it mean the people that live in the haram or does it mean that anybody that happens to be in the haram so it's not just for the residents it's for anybody maybe somebody came for hajj and umrah the person is poor right so this person you can also give the food to right this is what the imam is saying the fidyatul adha, which we said was the removal of the hair, the removal of the, uh, the nails, or the, or the covering of the head, or putting on the teeb on your body, okay? This, this fidya, you have to pay it wherever you did it. So wherever place you did it, that's where you have to pay it, okay? Not necessarily in the haram. And the one who is muhsir, the one who is prevented, we said, from completing his hajj due to the enemy, he has to pay his fidya, his sacrifice, also in the place where he was prevented from doing so. As for those people who have to do siyam, okay, then they can do it in any place, wherever they want to do so. Thank you for concentrating for 48 minutes and 30 seconds. May Allah bless you all and bring good from this lesson upon your scale of good deeds and mine ameen anything which was correct was from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shortcomings and mistakes from myself and shaitan if you have any questions feel free